just to be fun, to switch it up, I told the caller that they'd be called, but I'm not telling you guys who the caller is. Right, right. Okay, I'm I'm ready. What if the put, caller called me? Put these digits in. <laughs> All right, one, wait, eight one five. It's I don't okay okay. That's the, you don't want the area code? No no. <laughs> Whatever, go on. Hi, this is Jolson. I cannot get to my phone right now, so if you'd like to leave your name and number, can I get to my phone? He just said ready. At the tone, please record your message. When you've finished recording, you may hang up or okay. press one for more options. Well, that's all right. We can we can just talk for a little while. Then while we he gets his shit together. Is this just a really long voicemail we're leaving for Joe? Let's do it. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> it's an entire podcast episode voicemail. No, that was definitely him. It was his voicemail. Yeah, no, it um, definitely, yeah. Just, yeah. I don't think that was supposed to be a different Joe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's just, he said it didn't ring. Let's just try again. Okay. I made it. Hello. Welcome Frost. to the speech, guys. Yeah, lead the way there. Wow. So great it. to have you, Joe. We've been mm. we've been chasing after Joe Olufsen for years. <laughs> Couldn't get well, our I, schedules to match up. <laughs> I have to say, I'm honored that you guys would persevere after all the times I told you no. I just <laughs> I, really, I really feel like this has been a long time coming. Um, Thank you. you have a special. We have a special ask tonight. So tonight is the start of season three. Hey, why don't we hear a little bit about who this Joe Olofsson is? That's, I mean, I'm, I'm pronouncing his name probably for the first time my entire life at this point. So that's, that's one well, thing. Who, let's, let's introduce the world. Let's introduce the world, uh, to Joe. Ross or Matt, can you, uh, explain who he is? Um, <laughs> so Joe is a physical therapist that lives in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So Joe went to PT school with Matt and I. He was our roommate our first year there. I believe I might have referenced in a prior episode some tall guy with sandals and really long hair and a skateboard. <laughs> the first time I met him, that was Joe, who has a beautiful wife, Kara. He's a good friend of the speech guys. That's all I got. Matt, anything to add? Um, I mean, you covered most of it. Um, maybe... I mean, he was like an original speech guy, wasn't he? Because he was living with you guys when you started it. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah, wow. do you remember? Right. Wow. He was a you, speech you guy before I was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I uh, I floated around for a little bit of it, but I never I never participated. So this is, a, this is a big step forward for me. Well, just remember, you're not participating too long. We're going to cut <laughs> you off in about four minutes. <laughs> We don't need any of your far left agenda to mess up our audience expectations. Oh, I'm, I'll come, I'll come in swinging the sickle pretty hard if you let me. Is that the communist swickle? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Speaking, yeah that, that was the joke. Speaking of speaking of far left, how about people who once left their country for another one, like Robert E. Lee? What 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 do you know about Robert E. Lee? I mean, what were your thoughts getting uh, roped into this intro? Yeah, you know, um, I actually, I, I like the Civil War. I don't know a ton about it, so I, I can't really speak too much on Robert E. Lee. I, I'm trying not to read in uh, too far into the, the title of this one that's called Speeches by Losers. Oh, yeah. You might ask, have asked me to to intro this one. So, um, <laughs> Sounds like you're reading between the lines. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I can't not see it, you know? So, um, 
Yeah, yeah. So speeches by losers. Losers. Um, I I know what this speech is about. Um, and it is it's about the a letter that Robert E. Lee wrote to his wife after losing Gettysburg, um, which, as I understand, was a pretty pivotal turning point in the in the Civil War, if not the end. So I'm sure you guys have a lot more prepared. Um, hey, you already that's... know way more than most of our introducers uh, know. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing media before, just in case, just in case. Um, but yeah, I, I won't, I won't take up any more of your time before you guys get into the, the topic. Um, and I want to just break into season three by introducing the speech guys. Um, we've got Ross. Sometimes wears Julie's lip gloss. Johnson. We've got. <laughs> Landon, the man then free? Whoa, nice. I'm not sure. I thought it was fry, um, but I'm pretty sure it's free, unless Matt and Ross are both playing a prank on me, Um, (laughs) which if they did, they coordinated it really well. We've got Mike still rides a strike, Schaefer. Ouch. And we've got Matt has never beaten Joe in wrestling. Nice. All right. You guys are in for an action-packed episode, I'm sure of it. And with that, let's cue the music. Nice. Love it. All right. Thank you. When you see the road. You know, Michael Schaefer, Ross Johnson. Matt Schultz and Landon Fry are all are all here. Yeah, free, free. Perspective. I've been back and. I'm just gonna say it. I've been thinking it for ten minutes. I don't want a podcast here. Oh yeah. Now I've seen the road. Pregnancy is a beautiful thing. Pregnancy is a gift. Paint sticks to asteroids. We are called to emerge from that default setting of self-involvement. Okay, here we go. Thanks uh, for Joe for introducing the episode there. Ross is going to be lead-off batter for uh, the next speech series for Season 3, Speeches by Losers. Ross, what do you got tonight? So tonight, um, we are looking at a letter from General Robert E. Lee penned to his wife um, several days after losing the Battle of Gettysburg in the civil war so that will be what we're going over tonight little shout out before we formally begin my fourth child was born a couple weeks ago so we got joseph robert johnson the newest speech guy not not a loser at all not a loser at all he's a winner (laughs) i'm choosing these speeches to show him what not to be (laughs) i was clapping Um, for for your wife yeah, she did great. Uh, 27 minutes in the delivery room before he was born. So beat her personal best. <laughs> oh, yep. <all> right. <laughs> it was uh, quite a stressful half an hour there. Pretty rough. It was it iced that night. 
Um, so the roads weren't great. Had to go in through the emergency room. So a little more stress. I mean, it's always a little stressful going to the hospital. Yeah. Um, but knowing our past one had come quickly, we assumed he would come quickly. Not great roads, getting to the hospital. And yeah, 27 yeah. minutes in the delivery room. So You know, they don't charge by the minute. <laughs> nope. We got... and. <laughs> So one doctor had to deliver him because the OB wasn't there yet. But then, of course, the OB still came. He actually mm-hmm. was about five to ten minutes late. And I think his exact words were, I missed it. But he sure he still came on in and made sure everything was okay. So I'm sure we'll get billed for both somehow. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah. <laughs> diving into the podcast. So I don't remember who had the idea doing speeches by losers. Mike, I think it was yours. I think it was my thing. I believe we were driving back from, was it last spring? Way back in last spring, it first came up, driving back from Illini uh, State Park. That actually does sound familiar. I know it was after one of our camping trips, but I don't, I think that's right, because I don't think it was our fall rendezvous. Yeah, I can picture us driving down Interstate 39. It's a compelling, compelling thought. I think your mind, there's a lot of ways we could take this. Um why uh so so we don't get lost in the weeds here ross why don't uh, you go ahead and open up with lee reading yeah. uh an excerpt from that letter so it's pretty <clears throat> short should i read the whole thing or do you want just <clears throat> just an excerpt yeah the the excerpt okay. that you okay. have right. posted on the outline all right so again this is robert e lee a letter to his wife july 12th 1863 when did gettysburg end was it the third or the fifth Anyway, so yeah, so this is him, and it's a, not a very long one. I think what I actually have might be an excerpt of the letter, but yeah. we'll do an excerpt of the excerpt. So, the consequences of war are horrid enough at best, surrounded by all the ameliorations of civilization and Christianity. I am very sorry for the injuries done the family at Hickory Hill, and particularly that our dear old Uncle Williams in his 80th year should be subjected to such treatment. But we cannot help it and must endure it. You will, however, learn before this reaches you that our success at Gettysburg was not so great as reported. In fact, that we failed to drive the enemy from his position and that our army withdrew to the Potomac. Had the river not unexpectedly risen, all would have been well with us. But God and his all-wise providence willed otherwise, and our communications have been interrupted and almost cut off. The waters have subsided to about four feet, and if they continue by tomorrow, I hope our communications will be open. I trust that a merciful God, our only hope and refuge, will not desert us in this hour of need, and will deliver us by his almighty hand, that the whole world may recognize his power and all hearts be lifted up in adoration and praise of his unbounded loving kindness. We must, however, submit to his almighty will, whatever that may be. May God guide and protect us all and my is my constant prayer so there's the excerpt um i actually when we started talking speeches by losers this came to my mind pretty quickly landon i think we probably have told you about our trip to gettysburg before i'd like to hear more now i think take it from the top let's see so when we're in sometime when we're in graduate school um our friend danny mcshane was studying to be a for he's now father danny mcshane um studying out in seminary in emmitsburg maryland um i believe mount st mary's i think might be the name but it's very close to gettysburg and a group of us went out in my parents van actually 
And I think I talked to Matt wanted to take a car, but it would have been five guys in a five seat car. And I would have been so crammed in there. And Matt wanted to save the like 78 cents in gas money, <laughs> but we didn't. And uh, we went to visit uh, Danny and on the trip, we, uh, we went to Gettysburg to do, to kind of check it out and do a tour. And we did a rather in-depth tour of Gettysburg. Uh, we stopped everywhere and talked about lots. And uh, one of the things Danny did for us was he had different, like, um, not necessarily letters, but just bits of writings of different figures from the Civil War. Um, so at different points, we would stop and read them. So at one point we stopped and this like this letter was mine. Um, and then I think Mike read Abraham Lincoln. Matt, you actually read a, a priest oh, that yeah. was somehow involved, I believe. And then we just had other figures as well. Um, Joshua Chamberlain, I think, was one. I still have them, most of them. But anyway, so this speech, it kind of stuck out to me at the time, honestly. So it stuck with me a little bit. Um, and yeah, so I, it was a pretty easy pick for speeches by losers. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was a fun little <clears throat> surprise that Father McShane uh, had for us to sort of deliver. And obviously, you know, he was just sort of insinuating Matt was Matt was the holy one, and Ross was the conflicted traitor, <laughs> and I was the hero. <laughs> In terms of like the speeches, you, of just you, life in life in general, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we knew the we knew the the speeches by losers quad, but when I sent out Robert E. Lee before you saw like letter to his wife or you know read the letter, what was your first thought when you saw Robert E. Lee? Because I feel like speeches by losers, like we said, could be go a lot of different ways. Obviously, Robert E. Lee is just an interesting figure because, I mean, I think all of us, except Landon, Landon's probably a little bit more historically just plugged in, have the at least conception or understanding that Robert E. Lee was the guy who was against slavery uh, more generally, certainly more so than most people in the South, um, but chose to fight for the South for um, being honorable or faithful to his state. Obviously, it's an interesting idea to sort of try to unpack that a little bit more. You know, not since high school if we spent so much time reading and watching videos in Robert E. Lee. So why don't, why don't I just do first reactions on speech itself, too, at the same yeah, time, I feel yeah. like. Yeah, I, I was expecting a speech, like, more from the end of the whole war. But, you know, some would argue, as I was reading, that, Gettysburg was the last like major powerful move attempted by the South. So even though it took place almost two years before the end of the war, it is in a sense the end of the war. Um, what one of the notes that I made for the content itself, other than just like the interesting commentary on Uncle on old Uncle Williams and who that is, which I figured out, but. Yeah, just especially that last line where that Ross has sort of started trying to give the speech. I trust the merciful God will not desert us in this hour of need. Um, we must submit to his almighty will, whatever that may be. It's so beautifully written. It's a 
And I think the most the most just superficial person would perceive Robert E. Lee as just this like evil person, right? Because he was fighting ultimately to support this institution, which just utterly minimized to almost the greatest possible extent, just the dignity of a person. But at the same time, there's just this real beautiful oratory, beautiful art, beautiful sensibility to those things which are transcendent and beyond us, right? The Christian God in this case. To see that beauty juxtaposed to something so disgusting that he was ultimately trying to protect, like... The, the, the note I made is like this segment of the speech, this letter should be taught in high school classrooms. It's just a lesson on the complexity, the antagonism of human nature. Just, just in the same way like the two thieves uh, at Jesus' side on the cross. Like both of them got there for the exact same reason, but to Christ's one side is the man who has promised salvation, the only person promised salvation in the Bible, and the other one who is presumably damned because of his desire to rebel and not repent from it. Just that that antagonism of human nature that's so interesting, I think, and comes across in this letter was sort of the thing that sticks out to me. Yeah, no, I think the the segment that you highlighted when you kind of made the comments about just how beautifully written it was. And, um, yeah, just the complexity of human nature, um, was definitely, yeah, that was definitely the part that stood out to me as well. And I think, uh, I mean, we'll kind of talk about this more later, I'm sure, but just kind of speaks to like, what is it? So we, I mean, I know we're, we're going to talk about like how to lose gracefully and like accept that, you know, and that, but like what is required ahead of time to do that? You know, because like, <clears throat> I don't know about you guys, but losses just like they get me. I stink. At lo- I mean, I'm very capable of losing. I'm very good at losing. <laughs> but and but, Matt uh, loses a lot, <laughs> mind you. But uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, like they really affect me. You know, and it's a type of thing that can hit you quickly, and you're not always gonna have the ability to just like pause and like think about how to act, you know? So like there kind of needs to be a like some things you've done to your soul to build it up ahead of time. Otherwise, mm-hmm. like at least I am prone to just yeah, just say and do bad things <laughs> whenever I'm embarrassed by a loss or something. So um yeah, no, I think it speaks to yeah, a very high degree of virtue. And like mm-hmm. uh yeah, just like a very firm um sense of identity, you know, in terms of like who he is, like what he's not what he's fighting for, like short term, like in the immediate sense of like the battle of Gettysburg, but like what he's fighting for, like, you know, the bigger picture of his life and whatnot. So when you think of losers, I think this is a pretty obvious pick for the first or second slot. I do on the on the speech itself, the first thing that came to my mind to contrast it to, which came from the same time period, but would be Lincoln's second inaugural, where he was just grappling with Lincoln, kind of that speech was almost like a sermon, and he was grappling like, all right, we've completed this thing, you know, was God on our side or not? And like, hopefully, you know, we shouldn't pray to that God's on our side, but that we're on his side. And I think you almost see some of that coming through Lee's words, like, 
I think it's even interesting in Lincoln's second inaugural. Um, I mean, he just came out and said, like, both sides of this war read from the same Bible and pray to the same God and invokes the Almighty's aid against the other. Um, and so, you know, yeah, just big picture, like, it was a division of brothers that brought on this war over, you know, uh, certain sins. I think you can kind of see Lee grasping with that a little like where where he's drawn his lines and how to think about it but i think i think you can see from lincoln's second inaugural that both sides are clearly trying to figure it out or win or at least in lee's example maybe not win but just whatever whatever was going through his head as i read it i mean yeah just the fact of kind of the invoking god's will and especially kind of this beautifully orated thing and like kind of like you said mike and juxtaposition like yeah in contrast i guess to you know, this terrible, ugly thing of just war and slavery and all this stuff. But it almost, when I read it, I mean, so I, I looked it up. So Gettysburg was July 1st through 3rd. So, I mean, this is only nine days after Gettysburg. So, <clears throat> I mean, just thinking about, I mean, that's a, a multiple-day battle. And he's, you know, the general of the South. So just, I can't imagine just the stress levels, fatigue, you know, having to retreat, think on your feet you know, didn't go as planned, just kind of the stress, fatigue of battle and war, like what that would bring on in combination with, like you said, just losing, you know, having to withdraw from this very pivotal battle in this war that, you know, he's been tasked to win. I don't know. So I feel like if at any point you're going to see somebody that's just worn out, tired, you know, afraid, what's going to happen? Am I going to be, you know, is the president going to take my job away? I mean, if at any point you're going to see somebody kind of quote unquote at their worst, it seems like this would be a decent example of it. And reading through the letter, it seems almost, I used the, I kind of used the word cold in my description and I didn't mean like there just didn't seem to be a lot of emotion there. Um, stoic. stoic, stoic. It just kind of was like, honestly, I was somewhat baffled just cause I was just having a hard time. Like, I don't know. Is he just, is it, did he write this quickly? What, I had a hard time believing he's just this unmoved at this point of the war. So then I look and find a letter he wrote to Jefferson Davis, um, president of the Confederacy, actually a couple of days before this. So he wrote this letter on July 8th, so only five days after the battle. And it kind of has the same tone to it, honestly. Kind of explains the situation. He even says at one point, I'll sh I shall therefore have to accept battle if the enemy offers it, whether I wish it or not. Just kind of... Uh, Okay, so we're going to have to do that if, you know, if they come, we'll have to fight them. And just this kind of blunt, stoic, if you will, letter he wrote to Jefferson Davis. So anyway, I was just kind of having this kind of difficulty placing what was this guy thinking right now. And then I felt better because I read apparently when he surrendered. So Robert E. Lee formally surrendered to General Ulysses Grant for the Union obviously at the, to end the war and grant said pretty much the same thing i've tried to find it if i can but i think at one point he actually said like i don't know i, I feel like i don't want to butcher it but he pretty much said i don't know how lee was what lee was thinking and not like in a crazy way just like a kind of had a hard time getting a read on him because it was so kind of the same thing so anyway i feel like that that was kind of my take was just and I don't even have a fine point on it because I still, I just was still a little bit in my mind, just kind of something didn't sit with it. 
Well, I think <clears throat> I think that is a a good sort of um, platform to sort of pivot to just the next sort of strand of thought here is that yeah, Grant didn't know what he was thinking. Maybe you can look up the exact quote while I babble a little bit here, but. Um, yeah, like he didn't know what he was thinking. So <clears throat> we think about circumstances in our own lives where we lose or just someone someone around us loses in either some sort of small way or some bigger way. And, you know, there's different ways that we can observe that manifestation of that loss, right? They can, if they're really, really young right they might cry about it literally if they're a little bit older then probably not crying but they might be like way too emotional about their loss but there's and this is what i commented on is probably a little bit more of the default setting or like the thing that requires a little bit more like force or energy for the average person to pull away from even if they're like fairly mature is that it's that desire to make excuses is not quite the right word but to sort of just like explain their loss it's as if they're like they're not lying about it not making anything up but it's this desire to say, well, the reason I lost or I didn't do well or I didn't send this route climbing was because of this, this, and this. But there's, I, I think that the most mature, the most noble thing is something Robert E. Lee hears, just to acknowledge the fact that I lost, it didn't turn out how I'd hoped, and that's it. And what I think, how that connects to Grant and Lee here is that what that does, I think two things happen. One, it, it makes you more, more potent, I think is maybe the right word, as someone who interacts with others, right? It's like if we're, if someone watches us just break down or just become overinvested in this loss, it's like, wow. I know exactly what that guy or girl is thinking, what's on their mind. It's like you're an open book. It's just like in romance, which we'll talk about in the next episode. And Lucy's like, girls do not like open book guys, right? You need to have a certain amount of mystery. I mean, it goes both directions. You need a certain amount of mystery to them. And if you're just pouring your heart out because of how you lost this particular thing, that that's not that's not interesting and engaging to others, and then nor does that exactly give you a very solid platform to move forward on because you're just you're you're dwelling on this thing right. But if you don't spend too much, spend too much hardware, don't give too much physical energy towards investigating this loss that you had or manifesting it, then it allows you to devote that energy towards moving forward. So I think that's sort of the the thing that is relevant to all times and all places that Grant was observing. He did not know what Lee was thinking. Sort of a euphemism for that that stoic individual in our lives who is mysterious and able to just sort of accept losses as they are and, and move forward. <clears throat> the um the 
so granted Noah Lee was thinking that happened at Appomattox Courthouse in 1865 was the final scene. I think a couple things I've read about that day that I found interesting. Lee was like dressed to the nines. Like he went out of his way to like put on like his best, most cleanest. He rode in on a white horse, super sharp. I and I wonder, I don't, like, what does that mean? It, I don't know. I think you could tend to be like, well, if I've given up and like I surrender myself, like I have nothing more. Like you could come across as perhaps like frumpy and downtrodden, whatever. But he wasn't. On the other side, Grant, I think, was the frumpy one and like was pretty disheveled and. That was a little bit who he was and didn't go out of his way to, to dress up. The conversation but that happened between them, I think what one thing that was interesting was, you know, Grant gave some fairly good term. Oh, the other thing Lee said before he went in, he was like, you know, we are not, I'm going to go in and surrender. And like, there, I give the order, like nobody can like lead a rebellion or like keep on fighting or like, you know, spread out the troops and let's guerrilla war for, the, war for this for a while. He specifically was like, that's just going to make us bleed forever. And like, um, we have to end this and I'm going to go surrender. And the order needs carried through that this is all completely over. Put down your arms. Grant allowed them to all go home with a horse and a gun. Lee accepted that. And then even kind of like humility kicked in and he asked for like food provisions. And Grant offered some. That was the one time Grant read his face. Lee was like, that might not be enough. And Grant like tripled the number. I was like, oh, you, you don't need 9,000. Like we can give you 25,000 like rations. And Lee's army was so at the end of their ropes, like Lee was surprised that the North could just hand over like 25,000 meals so easily. And Lee was like, yes, we, that would be great. Like we would take those and didn't, I don't know, didn't even have pride there to like not refuse to, to refuse a meal. I think it's an important retreat and there yeah, there was certainly mystery. Grant didn't know how to take it. They were they were barely just a couple of historical facts. They were they did spend some time at West Point together. They weren't in the same class, but were there. And then Lee was really high up in the war, the Mexican War. Grant was more of a, a foot soldier, but they had like basically followed the same path. Lee a few years older and more of like the A plus student. Grant was like the one just getting by who could ride a horse really well. And so it would definitely be like, you know, imagine yourself winning, totally winning and having to like accept defeat from like the person you most admire who's like 15 years older than you. Like mm, you yeah. just comp like your worst like peer slash enemy who's like steps further of you in your career or life, like you welcoming them into your office and like having to accept their defeat. Like that's that's the situation that they were in. And Grant at the beginning was like trying to make like small talk, like hey. You know, I don't, I don't know what he said, but it was like small talk, and Lee was just like, cut the crap. Like, we're here to settle up and let's just do that. Cause, like, I have to surrender to you. A guy who I kind of heard was like, you were that kid back at college. I don't even really know who you are other than like, now you're this guy that I have to do this thing with. Well, you know, one thing I was thinking about as you were describing all this is just like, 
all of the the possible bad reactions to a loss that I know I've had in different times. Like, um, I know Mike, you mentioned like the over explaining yourself. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Just trying to like save some sense of competence, like you know why you lost, but that somehow makes you smarter or better or whatever. But there's like the I don't care, defeatist, uh, who cares what I like that sort of thing. There's like anger, frustration. There's this sort of like withdrawal. There's this sort of like beating yourself up over things and just how all of the, these dynamics and ways you could respond were kind of quantified, you know, like you could be like, oh, we don't need your help. We, yeah, yeah, we don't need extra meal. You know, what, like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. there are so many opportunities for these things that like we don't have ways to like measure or quantify. But like obviously in this situation, it's like uh, – you know, trying to advocate for your men for, you know, different rights for a horse and a gun for meals, whatever, just how all of that is quantified in this situation is, is interesting. I really like, um, the not explaining why you lose thing. Um, that actually, I think I read that in a book by John Wooden and no joke that like exact idea had a big impact on me when I was like, I don't know, I'm going to guess 14 years old. Like that hit me really hard. Like, Oh, like that's, that's what you do Mm -hmm. as a man. I'm not saying I do a great, you guys can tell me, but I like that exact point I've tried to live out for years. And I feel like because it's so, I'm so conscious of that, I notice it's like you kind of notice the contrast. So I feel like I like, I'm more hyper aware when people do the opposite. And it's unbelievable, I think, how often people do the opposite. Like, I mean, in the workplace, I you name any situation ever, and it's like the second you bring up even if you're not like directly blaming them like so fast to i mean even if it's accurate like we'll call it an excuse but like offer up the reason um and it's just insane to me but yeah as far as the grant lee thing so i did find it so i, I think i'll read it because i think it fits super well with what you guys have been saying so again just Lana, you obviously set the stage but so robert e lee is a big figure right even even at this time Right, he's the North kind of had to move around, had different leaders and generals. But I mean, Robert E. Lee was kind of like the guy from the get go for the South. He was the guy, you know. So anyway, you've got that, and then as far as if Lee wasn't moved by it or if he wasn't sad or whatever, this is his words. He said after he made the decision to surrender, "There is nothing left for me. There is nothing left me but to go and see General Grant, and I would rather die a thousand deaths." So. He's not just emotionless. It's not like he doesn't care. He's obviously pretty moved by this whole thing. And yet this is what Grant said after it. What General Lee's feelings were, I do not know. As he was a man of much dignity with an impassable face, it was impossible to say whether he felt inwardly glad that the end had finally come or felt sad over the result and was too manly to show it. Whatever his feelings, they were entirely concealed from my observation. But my own feelings, which had been quite jubilant on the receipt of his letter, were sad and depressed. I felt like anything rather than rejoicing over the downfall of a foe who had fought so long and valiantly and had suffered much for a cause. Yeah, so that's that's General Grant's own words. I think, too, it's easy to, I don't know, and I guess we kind of talked about it, but just like hearing us talk, I think just Lee's kind of, I don't want to say like Lee's complexity because I think we can kind of use it as a way to see how like everybody's, I guess, in a way. But like, I feel like it's easy to, I don't just kind of, I want to highlight like it's easy to, for both sides, like not both sides, but 
you know, someone could look at him and really stress, oh, he was against slavery. He was only fighting for his like his state, his country, where he was from, and try to like build him up in this super like heroic way. But then at the same time, like you can't write off like he was also fighting for the South, and like that huge part of that was slavery, you know, and um, the slavery of an entire race of human beings, which is obviously a pretty terrible thing. So anyway, I just yeah, that's just whole. Like I said, just I don't feel like I really had a fine like articulation of how like just reading through these things and thinking about Robert E. Lee and the situation, I, I just was left very just like not grasping but just questioning afterwards just didn't have a solid take on him this might be a little bit of a pivot so if we want to stay on this let me know and we'll come back to this later but is there can you guys think of any good examples of a non-stoic but still manly loss you know what mm-hmm. i mean because I, I feel like i so one that came to mind for me was like an like odysseus you know whenever he suffered some defeat and like Usually when that happened, like a bunch of his men died or something, were eaten by a, you know, cyclops or drowned by a random monster or something. But like, so maybe it's more of a grief thing than losing in battle. But I don't know. I feel like he was just pretty emotional and just like, and just rent his garments, and, you know, and I feel like there might be, which maybe Lee did that before, <laughs> got it out of his system and then, you know, went and, and uh, surrendered at, at uh, Appomattox Courthouse. But yeah, I guess I don't, is is there room for emotion? You know, because I don't. I, I think there might be, um, but yeah, it's hard to because it, I I definitely like res like all you know the all the stuff we've been talking about resonates for sure in terms of like this sort of manly composed like way of accepting a loss. But at the same time, I feel like there might be like an emotional way to a more emotionful. If, if that's a word, uh, way to, to lose. I don't know. He was a genteel man from the South and did not express his emotions. <laughs> <laughs> that's an interesting question. I feel like I have in my mind, I thought a lot of just people losing poorly. And like, I have tons of examples of people doing a terrible oh, job. Oh, for sure. But no, definitely. As far as like people who actually, you know, maybe were somewhat stoic or... So we would still say, you know, lost with dignity, yet didn't have this very composed manner. Yeah, it's a weird balance to think about, because, like, yeah, I don't... I mean, well, uh, I don't want to steal too much thunder from... Well, I guess I don't know what Mike's doing next week, but... I, I've got a brief <clears throat> brief thought to mix things up a little bit that's on Matt's point. Yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's an interesting idea. I mean, useful. Um, I don't think that nuance has been, been introduced uh, yet here. I think sort of a, a useful, most ob- more obvious parallel would be like um, in the case of men, like a, a son losing his father, right? And whether or not he should cry in that scenario. And I think this is a good example of you know, the pendulum swinging in more of the opposite direction in a good way, right? Like, yeah, we, we can, like, um, I've basically never seen my dad cry, but I've got a hunch that, God willing, if I had kids they would like i i don't think i'd be embarrassed for them to see me cry like 
watching my dog skip. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, I I don't know. I honestly don't know how often you guys cry, but I, I think there is you guys something cr- you guys cry valuable. right. <laughs> <laughs> I I think there is something definitely valuable about not not saying that my dad concealed his tears necessarily, but um, there is something inherently valuable about just allowing your tears to be, to be seen that. Yeah. I mean, being, being sad, being, being heartbroken um, in whatever way that is like, is a very real normal good. Like that does not endanger your soul. I think is a good way to, to express that. And I don't know, it's, just, it's a very natural, a natural, logical idea to say that in contrast with, I'll, I'll put it out, put it out now since Ross put it out before to something far less meaningful than the Civil War, you know, President Trump still whining about quote unquote losing um I'm not a loser, two years okay. later <laughs> two years later right like you know if president trump would have just cried in his bedroom the night after he lost like okay fine i'd say he's a little bit of a baby <laughs> but yeah in, in contrast with something a grief being elongated for two years it's like so, yeah, to, to answer your question in short, Matt, yeah, there is something valuable about expressing your grief as a man or a woman. And I think that's one thing that the millennials, the newbies have gotten right with men just being more comfortable with being a little more emotional. So, yeah. So what if what if um, one of the thing, big things with Robert E. Lee is like, what do we do with the Robert E. Lee statues? Were they ever a monument well three questions leading three questions hold on let me get this straight three questions and then maybe a tie back was he a good loser and was that what we needed were the monuments put up because he was a good loser Mm, do we look at the monuments today because he was a good loser or not would they have stayed up if that is how we looked at them? And finally, was he the ultimate mimetic scapegoat that we needed? Whoa! Whoa. That was Whoa. the one. That was the one. I don't even know exactly the correlation with mimetic scapegoat. Oh, yeah, I, I guess I do, Sorcy. In, ten- in conflict, we always need to, like, like, did he offer himself up to lead a cause that was ultimately, like, just supposed to fail? That he knew was right. going to fail. When you read likely. the speech, yeah. it's like, I mean, he's not, like, talking like a winner, right? Like, you don't get a sense of he's all out on this. Like, you get a sense more of, like, a very conflicted moral virtue... I'm just going to, like, play the role as long as I should and then show up in a white horse. And, like, we, we probably needed that to get get past slavery. 
Okay, briefly restate those three points. Well, was was he was he the was he um was he a good loser? Why was why has he been memorialized? Would that change if we memorialized him because of being a good loser? And then given yeah. like all these yeah. like torn sentiments, like it's kind of an odd letter, the text is torn like <clears throat> was he playing a like almost like perfect scapegoat role to get yeah that that's just like what i'm piecing together in my head my first thoughts i think was he a good loser i would say yes is that why he was memorialized i'm gonna say probably not um <laughs> would that change if it were i think I think I would say it should, but no, probably wouldn't change how most people view it. When you said scapegoat, my thought was, was he like a scapegoat today? Like, is he the, is he the four, like, it's almost like we, the, you know, there's so much energy and anger, like it needs directed at someone or something. So it was the Robert E. Lee statue. Mm. And he, so he is in fact, you know hundred and some years, 50, 70 years after his death, like the scapegoat. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That was my first, when you first popped the question, there's a lot of questions there. So I was trying to keep up, but that's, <laughs> I think that's how I would go. Honestly. Yeah. I think that, I think that's pretty much right on. Was he the scapegoat yeah. then though? Did he then? like just step up and play a role? I don't know. I guess I don't get that sense. He seems to be, um, I mean, even like the the other letter uh, to Jefferson Davis even like shows him as like a very devout guy who seems to like be very rooted in, in his in well yeah finish that well yeah i guess rooted in his um in his faith and rooted in his like identity as like trying to be to serve god in some way albeit like misguided in certain ways certainly but um but yeah, like that does seem to be a rather authentic and it's it was in a day and age where like people did talk like that and it you know, I don't know, maybe maybe you can say that that was just kinda like, oh it's just you know, a phrase, you know, it didn't mean it, but like I don't know. I guess to me it, it does seem authentic and that that's a central uh, component of his identity. I don't know if he would necessarily just be like, Well, oh, alright, well people are gonna hate me, but I also think which I'm not a scholar on Robert E. Lee. But from the couple things that we've talked about that I've read, I would say this is like a good quality that you people should want. Like, it's okay to be conflicted, and like when you have to make a decision, right? So, I, and I don't know how much conflict he had, because um, I know people can talk about how he was against slavery, but so fought for the South. I don't know if he had to think about that for two weeks or if it was a no-brainer for him. But it was, it was in a sense two days okay. based upon the letter. Either way, but... like I think it's okay to have like conflict in the decision making. In, in anything but i think that there's something kind of virtuous or manly about like once you've made a decision like you need to be all in and you need to right. see it through yeah um and he strikes me that that would be like true to his character and um so even if there was some conflict in making the decision it seems to me like once he made the decision i i would i would guess he was in it to win it um right yeah you know, with the expectation that he would or at least had a chance to. So yeah, and that makes losing harder and his actions more impressive to lose. If he was like one hundred percent in it to win and not like at all 
aware of possible scapegoating and like leading a war that I don't know all the metrics you know they had <clears throat> I saw some stats like you know half the population one-tenth of the industrial might almost just one-fourth of the fighting fighting abled men to like compete against the war like it was always they're always probably going to lose if you if you didn't know all the stats maybe you didn't maybe those stats are just like 2020 hindsight and just like defending the north um defending against the north so um remember from those who uh did their studying remember that robert e lee was against confederacy statues and memorials um he felt that it would be antagonistic to the reunifying the united states that is that it, i didn't i didn't so i'll I didn't leave that, that out there that he was against memorializing yeah, yeah. which i mean makes yeah. sense based on which, the words we've read of him but yeah right right um i didn't know that's kind of funny <laughs> like in light of everything yeah. that's going on today yeah um and and which i think is is the perf yeah perfect sentiment there yeah, so sort of along the same lines there with what you're saying, Land. Yeah, is he memorialized because he's a good loser? I I might lean towards yes. Um, and the reason that I say it is this: I am I am um against Confederate statues. Is a little bit not quite the right word. I I I I don't think they're a good idea even today i remember that yeah like i remember reading i think it's when we were getting ready for the lincoln gettysburg address episode uh reading some articles and like and somehow in 1870 it came up and the the north and union um sympathizers which a good a good american said like absolutely not you're traitors um and it wasn't until like 1930 or so i think that they when the lost cause idea started to gain more ground but yeah i i think that robert johnson robert johnson (laughs) robert e lee's sentiment there is is just is right on where it's like it's not it's not useful to promoting national unity i think another useful parallel it just fits in like the exact same breath. I feel like uh, I was talking to my buddy Eric, who was down in Arkansas this past summer, where obviously there's a lot of uh, rebel flags that are flown, and there's obviously a lot of people. And this ties into something we haven't gotten into, which I think would be nice to get into. Uh, it was in Landon's notes. It's like the the rebel flag is used. Certainly, certainly. And just as the war was not just about slavery for Robert E. Lee, I mean, it, it really wasn't at all, obviously, for him. Um, but he accepted that it was ultimately about that. The, the rebel flag stands for stands for a certain way that Southern people are with being, being honorable, at least towards other white people, for a lot of them. <laughs> um 
it, it's just a certain sort of southern culture, right? That there's there is a lot of good things to it, which the rebel flag stood for because of historical circumstances that they ended up with with their own flag. But but for as my friend Eric stated, it's like for virtually any African American who drives through a town and sees a rebel flag, they're not gonna feel welcome. Like just period. And so, like, for that reason, like, you have to say, for that reason, it's just not a good idea. Whether it's flying a rebel flag, like, I calling them a racist is way too far. Like, that's not, maybe they're racist, maybe not. Same with, like, Confederate statues there. Like, do they memorialize him being a good loser? Yeah, I think there is a lot to that. But are they a good idea? I stand with Robert E. Lee on this one. <laughs> no, <laughs> ironically, yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't think that that was a hypothetical question. I doubt they were ever. The reason I even asked that question was because um, I think Gerald Ford reinstated Lee's right, right, right. citizenship in like nineteen. 19- 70 whenever Gerald Ford was president um five 75 so like post civil rights and granted I mean <clears throat> probably a white southerner but there was like a very recent yeah he like there's there's reasons to always like keep him top of mind like we had this conflict he was had some of the right ideology and then he chose the wrong side and then like he made it he at least wasn't the reason Reconstruction failed. If all of his, if all of his ideals for how the twenty years post-war should have gone, we'd probably be in a different place. Like he was actually pretty aligned with Lincoln on how to like resolve all this. It's just he and Lincoln died way too soon, and it didn't go the right way. Um, but yeah, I thought the reason I asked like was it. Is there a reason to still memorialize them? We recently did it. We've recently taken them all, all of it down too. What else were you going to say? Someone had another pivot. Yeah, so we're talking a lot about how to lose with dignity. Um, <clears throat> so two things I wanted to do real quick before I asked my question. I was going to just read. So I think the <clears throat> our friends over at the Art of Manliness had a nice post on how to lose with dignity. So I was going to read their seven things. And I kind of had a joke. But anyway, so this is what they said. How to lose with dignity. Accept responsibility for the loss. Bow out gracefully. Acknowledge the winner. And in some cases, even support the winner. Learn from the loss and move on. And as I was reading those, it's like, huh, Robert E. Lee did pretty much every one of those things. And it just kept hitting me. It's like, that's like the complete... I just kept picturing Donald Trump after losing... The last election, I was like, he did the complete opposite of every point. <laughs> like, not even one of them. Every single one. And it just... He... Man, what do you think it'll take to get Donald Trump on the Art of Manliness podcast? I can't even... I think it would break the United States. I mean, I mean, that one point, bow out gracefully, that's just like literally Lee's... Like, nobody bows anymore. Like, do you bow? Like, Lee bowed as he, like, halted the horseback. But you don't actually yeah. bow. It is, 
you know, without going riding the Trump horse too much, it, it is it is because there is like this interesting, um, I guess, paradigm is just the right word for it. You know, obviously, a lot of people, the art of manliness, for those who don't know, you know, it's this it's this secular platform. Oh, yes, secular platform run run by a gentleman named Brett McKay, who's pretty devout Mormon. I was going to say he's something. Um, But 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 content is presented and organized in a way that makes it accessible to atheist, agnostic, or uh, Jewish, Christian, Hindu, just just any man i mean or woman too um but generally men who are just interested in becoming more virtuous disciplined better fathers sons brothers um and there's certainly like you don't need too much of a brain i certainly don't have all that much brain to acknowledge that like that's a significant overlap than a lot of this a lot of the same individuals who still who still abide under the Trump flag. And as Ross, just it's like, come on, you have to, at the very least, acknowledge, of course, President Trump did none of those things that Robert E. Lee did, uh, that the Lose with Dignity article suggested. And it's like, man, like, what what do you make of that? Like, how, 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 yeah, I don't know. You don't, we don't necessarily need to run with that, but it's just something to, like, I've, I've certainly spent a lot of time thinking about over the last. Another example of doing the opposite of those things, and this isn't necessarily losing, like, the game itself, but it has started to bother me the last year or two to watch coaches in sporting events absolutely lose it at the officials sure you know in baseball i know and i understand it's like part of the game they're doing it intentional like basketball they're probably trying to get the crowd into it and get players yeah, to play there it's like yeah. there's like intentionality to it but still like and again like have if i'm watching a basketball game with my son who's six years old and i'm a big line basketball fan like when brad underwood just in i mean he doesn't lose it necessarily more than any other coach but like when he like there was a he game might. <laughs> See, I, I mean, he loses it his own players actually more than the sure, refs. That's probably but true. That's probably true. Last year, the Ohio State game, he lost it. I mean, out on the court, just screaming. Two texts ejected, rightfully so. And as if my six-year-old's watching that with me, it's like, what do you tell him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a guy. Yeah. We're we're paying him a lot of money. We like him, you know, because we win. But like, that's not, you know. And it's just like, and I don't know. I don't have a. I mean. Yeah, that's the only way to say it, I guess. But and it's made me even think, like, when I watch the sporting events, like, Matt, you mentioned at the beginning that you're not good at losing. Like, how much I hate it, like, if a call goes against us, how quick I am to, like, accuse the ref. That was a terrible call. That's going to mess up the game. And it's just, like, I don't know. It's not something about me that I like. But, um, I don't know, just giving another example of uh, the world today where people don't <clears throat> lose well. So, do you have someone leaning? I don't want to. Painting a very broad stroke. It's like the locality of neighborliness has been overrung by the the nationality of like our ideologue. We could Mm. dig into that, but. um. Yeah, something sort of relevant, I feel like that. So, I was driving to Aldi 
this evening to the grocery store and there's a guy who was next to me and his bumper sticker which of course have become like sacramentals in our day and age it's it said um you can burn the american flag but make sure you wrap yourself in it first right and being being a little bit of um what's the word we're looking for uh stereotyping this guy like there, there's a pretty good chance he's a conservative christian but but like dude like you are you're basically implying that you would like these um you know basically just any far left person like you want them to kill themselves that's exactly what you're saying and that's obvious obviously so antithetical antithetical to like like Come on, that's it. If not mortal sin, like that's grave matter. Everywhere you drive, you are wishing suicide upon someone in the far left. Is my interpretation of that. And even if this guy, I'm not gonna say gentleman, this guy is even if he is someone who goes to church semi regularly, is he really immersed in? the very Christian culture that he is in some sort of like um, goofy way trying to like advance. And of course, like the, an the answer is like, no, it's like, I, I don't know. I, it, it's just this. I, I think that there's so much to be said for like a real fear of hell. If this guy really feared hell, if he really feared hating his fellow human i don't think he'd have that bumper sticker or the billion other things that crap stupid crap that comes up on social media or, or other bumper stickers. all right so matt i would like you to tie ross watching a kid with it with his son a line eye game referee overture to far left burning flag <laughs> hell on our mind uh, and fearful. Could you just tie that together for us and uh, back into Robert? <laughs> of course, Lee's I was speech. just about to. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'll do my best. <laughs> so one one thing. So I mentioned in the outline, Claire and I have been on like this chess kick for like two weeks. Like we'll play chess with each other, and neither of us are good, right? Like neither of us really have a particular strategy other than trying to think like two or three moves ahead, like don't move here because they'll do this and I'm stupid, you know, very rudimentary. Uh, like anyway, look, Matt's already making excuses, calling himself stupid. <laughs> Win better than this, Matt. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> or lose better than this. Darn it. <laughs> but yeah, it's been, there have been very trying times where I'm like, Holy smokes. Like, I stink at losing. And I actually need to get this under control before Abe is old enough to see me lose like this. You know? And uh, which I think kind of comes to, to something I mentioned earlier about how when you're in the midst of a loss, like, it comes up on you. Right? Like, sometimes, yeah, you might see it coming or whatever, but, like, Obviously, I don't play chess in order to lose, right? I try to win. And when it starts really turning, like, oh, crap, I just made a bunch of dumb moves. Or, like, Claire just made a bunch of great moves, whatever. Like, yeah, like, this feeling just 
bubbles inside me. And there's like something that needs to be in place ahead of time to overcome that. You know, and that's where I think mm, like what Ross, yeah. like Ross's situation with his, yeah, just like those are the opportunities to like, I mean, not that you moralize over every basketball game you watch, right? That would be really boring and annoying <laughs> to have my dad moralize about things every time we watched a college basketball game. But, um, but yeah, to at least have like, just think about, okay, when I lose in chess, I need to like try to instantiate the things I want Abe to know, to know and, and do, right? And that takes virtue, right? And that takes immersing yourself in a, I would say like a more solid, Christ, solidly Christian identity, which involves thinking about the bumper stickers on your car, <laughs> you know, which involves, uh, you know, besides like a, yeah, it just involves you thinking beyond just like, this seems like a, you know, stick it to them bumper sticker, you know, like, sure, maybe emotionally gratifying to like, <laughs> suckers, you know, but like, just think like two steps, like what you're actually saying and what you're doing and like, what is that representing and whatnot. So yeah, I guess maybe that's, uh, that's my best way of connecting them. But those are thoughts that have been kind of percolating. Yeah. Um, yeah. Throughout and just like, yeah, that virtue needs to be in place ahead of time. Cause like sometimes that comes on quick and you lose quick and like, shoot, now you need to figure things out. I feel like it's easy. Like in your example of the chess, at least for myself, like when you recognize that you're trying to lose will, it's easy to come off or like tr that I don't care. You know what I mean? I think it's just hard to genuinely capture the, hey, I really wanted to win. It's not that I don't care, yet I'm still going to act a certain way. The thing, the thing that sort of stuck out to me with what you're saying, Matt, that it, I don't know, it, it's, it's sort of rambly, but it's sort of not too at the same time. Uh, so I've been watching the TV show Friday Night Lights recently, you know, figuring out how this game of football or football, how do you pronounce that? Get you one of these. <laughs> Get you one of these, Ross is doing the video. And, you know, it takes place in Texas and um, abor abortion has come up several times and as well as... Um, uh, premarital sex, right? And like one of the things, like I sort of, you obviously it's a TV show, right? So they're they're trying to like create drama, um, which is legitimate to some extent. But at the same time, you're still watching it. And you're like imagining, like, okay, if if this was my child, like you know, what are the things I would say if if I mean, I'll, I'll say he or she when to get an abortion because obviously a guy can encourage that for sure. I don't know. For some, or some reason, you know, in terms of, I guess, what Matt was saying, like how do you prepare yourself before you're in this situation to be a loser? How do you prepare yourself before that? And, you know, when relation to the show, it's like have, have, having an abortion, like that's, that's, that's a losing side of the coin right and i'm thinking about like man what what would i say to my let's keep it simple to my daughter when we're dealing with these questions of premarital sex or possibility of having an abortion or and it sound it sounds goofy it sounds foofy it's not intellectual but 
it reminds me of something that Monsignor Brownsey would uh, do. You know, he'd, for the non-Catholics who'd come for communion, you know, he'd put his hand on your shoulder and he'd say, Jesus loves you, and so do I. It's so simple, but it's so, it just gets to you. It gets to you in this just very deep way. And I think that all of us hearing those kinds of things from the people we love, God loves you, so do I. It's not fancy. It's not Jordan Peterson in some 10-minute YouTube video with inspirational music. It's just a reminder of who you are and how powerful that can be in preparing you before those moments to lose. So I think it ties in pretty well to like you kind of talking about these situations, especially with kids and like preparing yourself to lose. So I do think there's something like you shouldn't, you know, ever try to lose. Right. I mean, maybe if you're playing like a kid in a game, yeah, I'm sure you can find a situation where it's fine to like let somebody beat you. But as a general rule, right, I think you're you're not going to like lose on purpose. But that being said, I don't know. I just think like is it good to let our kids lose sometimes? Like you kind of said, like, you know, to prepare you. So I kind of think about that. Like if a kid, like it's kind of that, you know, if you never, if you can't master yourself in the small things, you're not going to be good at the big things. Um, Or if I can't trust you in small matters, I can't trust you in big, whatever that line was. But um, so I kind of think about, with kids, like, okay, if we're expecting them, you know, in this case, to lose a war, well, with how many hundreds of thousands of people that died, but whatever it might be, you know, you don't get the job offer, the girl says no, whatever. Like, if we're going to prepare ourselves, is it almost good to let kids lose when they're young? To get them, because everybody loses sometimes, that's what they tell me. <laughs> but, um... but i don't know i think that i think that makes sense like yeah is it good to let our kids loose it doesn't really have the smell of a final bell question but it's a good question and we've been going for a while here so maybe we should just go ahead and make it the final bell what do you guys think do you have other do you have other final bells here's a sip i didn't have a good final bell i do think this is maybe worth addressing slightly more in response right. time than a regular final yeah, bell, yeah. but I'm okay with that kind of finishing it. Look, yeah, we'll if somebody comes up yeah. with something fine, we'll go. Yeah. Okay. Final bell. Ding ding ding. <clears throat> ding 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 ding. Final bell. Ferozza. Fifteen. One more round. There's no stopping this now. This is our round. No stopping now. We're starting. We don't stop. All your strength. All your power. All your love. Everything you've got. Okay, we're back. Ross, remind us. Final bell question here. Bring us home. Is it good to let our kids lose? And maybe a little bit of commentary on society today. Do do we let... Yeah, in the same vein. Do we let our children lose often enough? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think Matt addressed it a little bit in... Um, kind of his chess game mentality that made me think of golf. I do, I do come back to golf. I think when I reflect on times I've lost in my life, there's a couple like sentimental, um, maybe fluffier instances. But I think 
uh, I'm confronted with a lot of emotion and just like psychological loss sometimes in like golf matches or playing with like a bunch of friends like you can't you want to like perform in that environment and you think you can play this well but you you almost never do and the litmus test for like <clears throat> my judge of character sometimes is like what when I golf with people like even if they're very 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 bad and like can barely make contact with the ball like how do they react or how do they like like you're never golfing because you're playing well like only the pros do that like it is four or five hours of just being outside kind of playing a recreational sport with someone and it's really about like the company and for me it's, it's often like I can forget that a lot like other people get caught up in performing and I think that that's probably the best example of like how do you lose well because like pretty much everybody always loses when they play golf um and yeah I think we you know we don't fight wars anymore um fortunately like thank god we we aren't asked to do that several times in our life golf's like one minor thing perhaps like chess that mirrors maybe sentiments and physical performance that are just hard to overcome or perfect so i think before you think, judge me too much landon some of us are so bad it's actually embarrassing though yeah but but <laughs> still just like the um yeah how, how do you lose well it's like you're still having so much fun and value like the conversation and the camaraderie that goes with it rather than like how exactly the outcome of that shot went and i think that reset the question one more time ross and i'll just bring it home <laughs> is it good to let our kids lose and mike had a slightly what was the other one and does society do enough to or help do we let them lose, lose enough or yeah, what yeah. The, yeah um yeah yeah of course it's great to let our kids lose i think the word that often comes i have a, a, a almost six month old son and like you know sometimes when he's crying and it's like kind of a a wussy cry to be frank it's like i can tell you're, you're not old you're, <laughs> like, I, I, dude i totally get what you're saying you're not like you're okay. like i just changed your diaper you're not hungry you don't need a nap and like that's definitely a, like a wussy cry um huh heard it here first first <laughs> on the speech guys like you're more learning to talk than you are like in distress right now that's like the balance of cry mm, wow and like the word that i often think of is like how can i teach or convey like how to be resilient and it's it's not like losing it's just how can i how can i teach how to be resilient and i think that is needed more and maybe maybe you're not supposed to do that with six months old. I don't. It crosses <laughs> yeah. my mind for like, what do I do when when he's five? But it it's starting to creep in. Health and human <clears throat> services is gonna be knocking on your door on Monday later. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would uh, I would say I yeah no I'd totally back that up. And uh, I know the sissy cry. I get what you're saying. Like you know their needs are met. Uh, for Abe, especially since he's kind of in the very early stages of walking and falling and hitting him, you know, hitting his head and things. 
just yeah how much how you react definitely dictates how they react which is kind of a funny reality so if you're like whoa that was fun you know these like oh, okay that's you know whatever but do we let our kids lose i mean or sh- is it good to let our kids lose i mean yeah i i i think there's uh yeah that's the the short answer like is absolutely it's a good thing kind of stress test that um no one's good on their first try or hardly ever are we good on our first try of something and uh, certainly not in things that, yeah, just in different virtues or things that require a combination of virtues. Does society allow our kids to lose enough? I mean, I don't know. I feel like losing is going to happen naturally. Like, I don't know if our society is really to blame for people losing too much or too little. Ooh, that's a good um, point. Yeah, I don't know. Like, everyone's going to lose in some way, shape, or form. and Probably um, big time, too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess like maybe the better question is like, does society structured in such a way that like losing will be like a good losing will be harnessed, you know, that energy of, of a loss will be harnessed in a positive way. And I don't know. I mean, I, f- I would say insofar as like we distance ourselves from God, we're going to distance ourselves from what it means to be human and what it means to be a virtuous person and like to have what, what it takes to lose gracefully. So I would say in so far as we, you know, had that route, like, yeah, I don't know if kids are going to lose as well. So some of the knee jerk, uh, reaction thoughts that sort of come to me here. Um, yeah, it's important to teach your children how to lose. Yeah. Okay. Obviously. Yes. Um, but how, how might one go about doing that? I I think the sort of like things that stick out to me that I don't feel are really um, built up or constituted within the default setting for children training. The or it's like you're you're just sort of like a little weird if you were to have these kinds of conversations. Weird in a general sense, the word just just significantly or far off from average. But like, <clears throat> how do you prepare to for your children to lose faith in God? Or what do you do when you know you feel like you're not good at your job, or when you're losing a sense of comfort? Like, it's kind of another interesting way to put it. And obviously, like, all of these different converse, like, every single person, there is not a single person who has ever existed who did not have those kinds of thoughts. I mean, even Christ losing faith, faith in God, you know. Um, shoot, what what <laughs> what did he say in Gethsemane? My God, my God. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, um, like... And I feel like the default setting is just, just, excuse me, just to like act as if these are never going to happen. And you just figure them out on your own, you know, you just keep them to yourself. But, you know, I think the challenge, of course, is that those kinds of questions, like for one person, that particular question might not come until they're 70. And for another person, that particular question might come up when they're seven right and then everything in between for all the other ones is 
so it can make kind of presenting the nature and presenting antidotes to each of those questions sort of like awkward or just confusing even at different times but but the alternative is just living in this um as uh was it Henry David Thoreau? Quiet lives of desperation, just acting as if this there's this whole other fraction of existence doesn't exist. When of course it does, right? But people just end up keeping those things to themselves and um, not really figuring out what the tools they need to bring to those moments of loss, which, as Matt so aptly said, are inevitable. But what is not inevitable is resolving them in ways that advance us towards towards uh, holiness and being being who we need to be for uh, those around us. I think I kind of referenced it earlier, but and you guys have done a good job at you know talking about the ways that we will inevitably lose in life. Um, one thing we didn't really touch on though that I just feel like you can always take it to like a higher pitch, you know. So, Girl says no on a date. You don't get the job you want. Oh, you actually get fired from a job. Like you can just keep going up and up, right? War is pretty high on the list. <clears throat> I mean, something we didn't really talk about, which the quad, but you know, the kind of unfair suffering, if you will. You know, my kid got leukemia. I mean, my kid. Uh, you know, uh, if someone's child dies of leukemia or something like, you know, just why in the world would something like this happen? So when you think about these kind of moments in life where things don't go our way. It, yeah, it just seems impossible to handle them well if you haven't learned how to handle the smaller ones first. So yeah, so I think it is important. I don't want to say like force your kids to lose, but when when inevitably they do lose at something, to let them lose and be okay with that seems like needed practice for later in life. Sometimes you just have to destroy your kids in basketball just to teach them a lesson. And then you can tell them you're welcome at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that sounds silly, and of course you wouldn't want to do that, like, all the time. But, yeah, I mean, every so often, just make it clear you're an eight-year-old boy or girl, and you suck. <laughs> you know? Funny. Keep them humble. Um, we had a, we had, what was that, the Art of Manual, seven points of how to be a good loser? Uh, how to lose with dignity was the um, okay. p- uh, blog post. So, seven points. You want them? Yeah, and then let's rate Robert E. Lee, and then we'll rate the next three. See how we go. Did he have all seven? Did he have five? Did he have four? And then whoever we pick for the next speeches, did they have seven or not? Accept responsibility for the loss. Don't think out loud. Think to yourself well, first. I just, I just said right? the no, number you, one. I didn't, I didn't say how I scored it. Chill out. <laughs> <laughs> the metric, not the opinion. I don't know that he did. Hold on. Let's just do that one by consensus. Did he accept responsibility? I don't know if he did. I I just don't know. I don't feel like I don't know enough. I I feel like we're we're getting a little long here. I like the idea, but if we go. Okay, then just. Yes, he did because he tried to resign. He tried to resign from general in chief. Alright. So yeah, I would say so. Right, Bow yeah. out gracefully. Definitely. Yeah, that was yeah, invented that was for him. Yeah. Acknowledging the winner. Yep. I mean, yeah. 
Yeah, pretty yeah, clear. I think so. Totally. Yeah, okay. definitely, definitely. And in some cases, even supporting the winner. <clears throat> oh yeah. Yeah, I, I would say so. yeah by not wanting his statues up. I don't know. I mean, did he? I mean, he didn't serve in Congress, but like he wasn't but allowed. He didn't want his I statue mean, he, put up. Yeah, he he told people not to fight. Oh, yeah, he, he wasn't told a people citizen. like. Okay, I mean, okay, certainly not a no. <laughs> Learn. I was trying to be critical here. Shut up, Mike. <laughs> Learn from the loss and move on. Definitely, definitely. That's actually all it says. There's only five. There's five? You gotta read part two. What? <laughs> I mean, oh, five's good enough. Two. We don't need a ton. That's right. But we'll go so he was That's a five-star good. loser. Is that fair to say? <laughs> five-star <laughs> loser. <laughs> That's great. Oh, man. All right, so we know right. how to lose now. We know yep. it's important we know to, how to lose. lose. We know how to lose in war. But Is there any other way to lose, Mike? Lose in lo- <laughs> How do we lose in love? <laughs> That's what we've got going on next episode when uh, Chuck Nolan, you guys Chuck might Norris? remember him, uh, played yeah, played by Tom Hanks in the 2000 film by Robert Zemeckis, Castaway. Ooh. Tomorrow the sun will rise, and who knows what the sun will bring. Tide. Tide will bring. But, um, man, it's been great. Guys, have anything else to add? I think we're good. Okay. Thanks for listening. Thanks for drinking. And thinking. With us. Landon, you can say, be safe out there. Be safe out there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Super. Cue the music. Come and go. Look toward the horizon. Up ahead, you'll find a peace of mind. Relief from the trying. I had burned a bridge, wrecked in a ditch, had to ask forgiveness. Dead ends come and go, look toward the horizon. Oh, there are stories to tell, the times we grew and the times we fell. Oh, I've been afraid some days, but the world will lead us to a better place. Place. Ruby will lead us to a better place.